This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half measure style. Welcome to episode 37 of the Half Measures podcast. I'm joined once again by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing good, Dan. We're coming into summer in New Zealand and it's starting to get real hot. I'm doing a podcast in my shorts for the first time ever. I'm excited about that. <laughs> for some reason, Paul, I don't know why I'm, I'm imagining your legs right now, but are, are they really pasty and white? They, they are. And I'm thinking maybe this isn't a good way to open. No one wants to, the listeners don't need to hear that. I equally look. I to be fair, I also have the same the same challenge. I wore shorts in the weekend, um, and my legs were so pale, they were kind of vampiric. It was it was horrible. So does this mean if the if the sun's coming out, it's warmer outside? We've got to spend more time outside. We're not going to be watching as much stuff. Nah, nah. No. I, look, I'm all I'm all about that PlayStation Ten. Um, I feel like it was great when when I was a kid. I felt like I had sort of this year-round tan because you were always running around in shorts. Anyway, what are we talking about? This is a podcast about um, what to watch, and we love diving into all of those things, movies, TV shows, news, movies of the week. We've got it all here for you today. It's currently, uh, when we're recording this episode, we're in the middle of the, the US election. We've just had our own election here in New Zealand. So hopefully um, when you're listening to this episode, you, you're you well. Mm, yes, because by the time we go out to air, the result will be in. So who knows which mm. way it's going to go. Mm. All right, Paul. So just like tradition has dictated for the last 36 episodes of this podcast, what have you been watching? Well, I'm really glad you asked, Dan, uh, because I feel like I've been—I haven't been true to form for a while. I feel like I haven't, you know, done one of my classic dips into the uh, the Amazon Prime lolly bag. And what I've done this week is I've gone back and revisited a franchise that I started—a movie franchise. I shouldn't really call it a movie franchise. It's really just to trigger a couple of listeners. I watched Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD, the 1966 sequel movie to uh, the the other unofficial Doctor Who movie. So firstly, what an amazing movie title that is. I say that partly tongue-in-cheek. Um, but yeah, this was a movie sequel that I did promise a couple of months ago, and I feel like I've got uh, I've got back into my normal routine of watching things on Amazon Prime, and this is where I wanted to start. So um, I, I'm not sure if you remember my gripes from the first movie, Dan, but like a lot of them still exist here. I, I keep a record of all of your gripes in a, in a little notebook, and I, a little notebook. I keep it under. Well, I've got many notebooks with your gripes in it, but I keep it under my bed. And you know, if I'm ever feeling down, I I go and ha- I go and have a read of one. Just remind me it's going to be okay. Okay, so they, all those things are still there. So you know, him calling the Doctor calling it TARDIS instead of the TARDIS, the Doctor introducing himself as Doctor Who. It's absurd. Um, that aside, um, I actually found this movie an improvement on the first one. Um, so I think part of what I loved about it was that I vividly recall 
watching it as a kid and I have a bad memory. So that kind of makes it special when I can watch something that I sort of takes me back to being nine or 10 years old. I remember at the time thinking it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, of course, as a kid, I thought it was just as real as the other Doctor Who stuff. And there's this scene near the start of the movie where someone's down at the waterfront and a Dalek suddenly starts to rise up out of the water and you see the top of its head as it makes its way into shallow water and then the whole thing appears as it comes into shore. And you know how you were saying last week how Jaws has like ruined you from going into the ocean? Well, there are times even now that when I'm paddling in shallow water that I can I look out and I can see that Dalek coming out of the water. It's really it's stuck with me for a long, long time. So rewatching this was interesting. Of course, it was nowhere near as scary as it was back then. It's comical, if anything. It's relatively low budget. It's 66, you know, so it borders on being a bit of a B-movie, B which makes it kind of charming. But, um, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think you might, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. If, you, if you're if you sort of like even having a passing interest in Doctor Who, um, if you like a sort of a, a semi-serious 60s TV movie with some comedy moments, I think you might enjoy this. So, uh, yeah, good fun watch. Awesome. Um, always good when you can go back and watch a classic. And so is that, apart from our, our shared viewings, is that your, your main watch at the moment? Um, no, I have one other thing which um, I'm continuing to talk about, which is Discovery. So um, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3. Um, so just quickly, last week, I think I spoke for too long because I remember you talking about how I had the arms going and the emotions going, so I'll try and be brief this week. Um, three in a row, another great episode. It is hard to review without giving spoilers. Um, but for anyone listening, I would be interested to hear what your views are on it. Um, this is a TV show that I no longer know what to expect, and I do I do love that. Um, so I can't tell you how much I love tuning into an episode of Star Trek and not feeling confident by the end of the universe that something major won't have happened. So um, I guess to give a minor spoiler, um, no matter whether you tune into a 1966 original TOS episode, like I know you, you started, or a 2019 episode of Star Trek Picard. There are always going to be things like Starfleet, the Federation, ships traveling at warp speed. But with Discovery, as crazy as it might sound, those things are, well, maybe they're not things anymore. And if that's the case, then I don't know what Star Trek's about anymore. And that makes it actually quite exciting. So it's a deep, tangled story. And I'd say literally we're at a point now where if there are any new fans, they would really struggle just to jump in and have any clue what is going on. And I guess... That's, that's kind of cool. But the flip side of that is this new approach to Star Trek is actually making it hard to do future rewatches where you only want to watch an episode or two. So like I will regularly watch an episode of Next Generation or, or Star Trek Enterprise and just watch like a, a favorite episode or, or two. And it's a standalone and it's memorable in its own right. And it does that all within 44 minutes. But with Discovery, it's just, it's immersive. It's, it's, it's really, you know, like modern day TV shows. And I guess that's probably why I've rewatched the whole of Breaking Bad and now I'm rewatching the whole of Better Call Saul because that's, that's where we're at now. If you like a show, if you want to do a rewatch, really, you're probably going to go back and watch the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, really enjoyable. And I can't wait till you've uh, caught up then. Another, another little hint for you. Every every week that you talk about this, Paul, it's, it's it definitely bumps it up my list, and it's 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 coming soon. It's coming soon. I, I promise you. But um, yeah, I'll um, I'll stop there because really we've got Mandalorian, we've got The Walking Dead, and we've got a movie of the week that we've watched together. So um, that's that's all I'll um talk about for now. I'll um I'll ask you, Dan, what have you been watching? Well, Paul, what have I been watching? So you know, we often talk about. 
um, when your parents um, come and stay with you, what are you going to watch with them? And so I recently had a, a weekend of my mum staying with us actually, and my um, my mum quite enjoys a a good binge watch of a of a TV show, something she might not watch when she's at home, something a little bit different. And so a TV show that we decided to check out is Love. Craft Country. So this has been recommended a number of times in our Discord channel uh, by people like Sador. Um, I've heard lots of people talk about it. Um, so we've finished season one. So season one's only just sort of finished a few weeks ago. But the the basic premise of this show is this: this the main character called Atticus and, he, and his friend Letitia, and they basically they're traveling um, with their their Uncle George, and they're on a road trip across America in 1950s Jim Crow America in search of the missing his missing father. Um, and this begins a struggle to survive and overcome both the racist terrors of white America and terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a Lovecraft paperback. Now, everyone I've talked to about this show is a really big fan. But one thing that was sort of interesting for me is I went on a real journey with this show where it kind of took me four-ish episodes to really decide it was for me. And I think in the first sort of the first three episodes, I've got to admit I was kind of like, I, I don't I don't know. It's I don't know, but in saying that every episode did something that just sort of hooked me in a little bit a little bit more. And by the end of the ten episodes, super fan. Definitely want a season two. Definitely want to talk about it with as many people as possible. It is a TV show which I think is doing something so different um, and so crazy. It's got um, it's kind of got like some watch Watchmen um, components to it. It's pretty hardcore, I think, with the the nineteen fifties Jim Crow era America. That's that's pretty intense stuff. There's a whole bunch of magic and there's monsters and there's – it's a wild ride. And there's some really fantastic acting. There's some great budgets. It's a, it's a TV show that I think you'll be talking about for a long time to come. And I really do hope they do something with a, a second season. Has this one appeared on your radar at all, Paul? The only, the only place it's appeared on my radar, as you've, you've mentioned, is the, is the Discord community and our channel and there where people suggest things to watch i feel like that discord community is really having a a real influence you know you talk about social media having an influence on people's thinkings and opinions i feel like a lot of the things that you started picking up have come from suggestions in there uh, there's a certain gentleman by the name of michael from north carolina who uh, who i feel is um bringing that i guess what am i looking for i think it's that sort of that horror fantasy type vibe would that be fair um, in terms of some of the suggestions so um it's good yeah and i think you know it, this this tv show does have the the tag of horror but i think it's it's kind of more fun horror it's not like oh, okay. jump it's not jump scare horror um i think a horror in the sense that it's it's kind of gothic and there's um different sort of monsters and things that kind of exist in this universe but it's also well done and it's just got so many like twists and turns and it actually is a show which you kind of have to put together at, like, like different components of it are, are being laid out and there's quite a few sort of main characters and they start to have quite character driven episodes and god it's just so much fun it's got one of my favorite actors from the the wire in it um michael kenneth williams it, it's just 
it's star-studded. I think it's something different. If you've got any sort of interest in this genre, it's top. It's it's good quality. It's an HBO show, right? So they don't skimp on the budgets. They don't muck around. They like to do something a little bit darker. Um, here in New Zealand, you can watch the TV show on Neon. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for something new and a little bit different, I think give this one a go. My only rider would be it did take me a few episodes to get into it, but I'm glad I made the commitment and sort of stuck through. Um, so you 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 might if you're a bit like me, you might need sort of three or four to really really sell it to you. But we we watched the whole thing over a weekend. And we did a whole bunch of activities. So that's how good it was for us. That's amazing. And I just spotted Courtney B. Vance is in it as well. And I, I've i really enjoyed him and everything I've seen him. And I always think of him for, as Seaman Jones from The Hunt for Red October. Always such a, a great character in that movie. So um, I could, look, I say this a lot when I say I could be tempted. The watch list is getting bigger and bigger. I need to take some annual leave and just, I literally need to take like a, a good annual weeks, a good week's annual leave and just watch all the stuff on my watch list. Yeah, so look, really good one. Um, and then I think the other things that I've been watching, oh, actually I have watched two other two other things. So we've been on the hunt for um, a, a new palate cleanser TV show. So obviously I'm still watching Seinfeld, um, but we've been looking for what, what's going to be our, our new you know, US office style show that we're going to just watch occasionally. Like if you're, if you're eating TV in front of eating TV, if you're eating dinner in front of the TV, what's the, what's the show that you might sort of check on. And we've actually given two a go. Um, we've given Schitt's Creek another go. And I know I've really, I've really struggled to, to connect with that show, but I'm just, again, constantly hearing everyone tell me how great it is. So kind of gave that another go last night and also we gave Veep a go so um I've watched Veep before really enjoyed it and so I'm kind of going to let Samara choose what way we go on on this one because um see what kind of resonates more but we might watch sort of one one or two more of each one and and see what might become our our new palate cleanser that's I'm really keen to hear how you go with Veep because Diana and I are looking for a new palate cleanser because we we've been watching Seinfeld and um we're we're getting close into that end of that last season nine. I think we've got three episodes to go. So yeah, let me know. Look, it, it's good. I, I've already I've done I've done Veep before. It's a it's a highly recommended show. It's got a great dry humor. The only thing I kind of found hard watching it is maybe it was just a bit too real at the moment, uh, just with everything going on in the world. But we'll see. We'll give it another couple of episodes and, and see what kind of sticks. Um, but apart from that, I think we could probably move on over to. The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, Dan. So season two, or as it's been sort of labeled, they're going with, with chapters, chapter chapter nine. So um, fair warning to everyone listening. We are going to be talking full spoilers. So do please jump ahead if you don't want to hear anything. Uh, Dan, last week we, we, we finished our recap of season one. We talked about how hype, you know, all that hype for season two. Did episode one, chapter nine, did it live up to your expectations? Paul, this was one of the greatest episodes of The Mandalorian. It's, I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's one of the – and, and the, as we were saying last week, there is a lot of good episodes, but I think this was great. It delivered on um, all of those core components that are exciting. They had some big set pieces. We obviously saw the – return of a a fan favorite character we had um uh uh timothy timothy uh oliphant this is 
um, as you know, as as the sheriff, like just seeing him in the um, in Boba Fett's armor, seeing them fly around together. I think the way they introduced the you know the Sand People or Tuscan Raiders. I think you know there's some really I really enjoyed the way that they actually use sign language um, and actually um, really sort of um, brought in a, a different voice, a different component to the show. And I think they did that really well. It was, you could see that the budgets increased so much. I, I thought this was a great episode. I had a great time. It's definitely got me so hyped for um, this week and having another episode. What a gift. You summed it all up nicely. Um, in fact, to quote one of our regular listeners, to sort of jump ahead to the, the mailbag a little bit, Mr. Mr. Paddington Fox, he said, go big or go home. That's what this episode was about, and that's exactly what they did. It really sums the episode nicely. Um, everything you just said, it was just amazing. Um, Diana and I watched it with our 11-year-old son on the Friday night, and we all all three of us rewatched it Saturday afternoon again. And I can honestly say that that's never happened before where the three of us have watched something and then less than 24 hours we've, we've sat down and watched it again. That's how good it was. Um, just the, the story, um, just incredible. I just, I guess I feel like they really get the audience. And sometimes I think they just play to the fanboys so much that it, that's probably why it appeals to me. And I actually made a list, which I'll go through a little bit later of all the things that I spotted that I thought were just like, just there for the fans. And I just love the idea of John Favreau, Dave Filoni and the creative team just sitting in a room. And Dave is like, maybe we should have an episode where we like have a sheriff, like, like Timothy, someone like Timothy Oliphant, and you know maybe he's wearing Boba Fett's armor, and he teams up with some Sam people, and they take down a crate dragon, and John Favreau's eyes go wide, and he takes a sip of his whiskey, and he's like, "Dude, we should totally do that." And it's just, I don't know, it's like it's almost as if you and I, if we were making this series, I don't know, it's 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 just fantastic, and I really feel like they're having a lot of fun with it, and I just feel like they must love the reaction. I think you're right. I think it's um, I, I really enjoy how they they play out those moments uh, for people and and you can tell that like the, the, the fan service is just it's top quality. And I think uh, I'll let you go through your list of um, some of those those call out moments because I think those are the moments that make you think, yeah, this is this is what makes Star Wars so awesome. And the people that are making this love it as much as the fans love watching it and. That's what makes it such a fun watch. It was it was just so cool to see. I I just couldn't get over seeing um seeing uh, the sheriff and the uh, Boba Fett armor. And I remember at the time when there was sort of talked about a sort of a a rumor. I was kind of like, oh, is, is that what we want? But I, I thought they they dealt with it in such a a graceful nice way that it all just kind of worked for me and it's an episode that i think is going to be a fun rewatch anytime in the future right and that and that's where this does work well there is the ability to go back and watch this episode as a standalone and it does work really well um just quickly on timothy oliphant i mean you and i both love deadwood and i mean it's it's, it's deliberate casting i mean he, the sheriff that he plays in deadwood he's brought all of that vibe to to this character in in mandalorian so um the things the things that i spotted so at the start when um, when mando's looking for you know 
for some information and he walks in on that the fight that's going on so we've got the the two gamma ray and guards you know the green the green pig like mm. guards from from jabba's palace fighting i mean for status we're, we're back to tattooing i mean that's just great as soon as he's like you know i saw one on tattooing and it's like we're going back to tattooing it's just there's there's hundreds of planets and they're going back to tattooing amazing when we get there we we go back to that same maintenance place so we've got those those one-eyed droids i think they're like little pet droids you know that you know from from phantom menace we've got the r5 droid you know the old red droid that had the foldy motivator he's still kicking around he seems to be fully operational now then of course when he's on the sand corner another throwback we've got boba's armor up on the wall i mean that was just you know insane um We've got the Death Star 2 explosion being shown as footage about, you know, how that sort of was great news for everyone, but then all of a sudden chaos broke out. Um, We've got Boba's helmet, which is just delightful. I've seen so many GIFs and pictures of just that, the focus on that helmet. That that focusing antenna that comes down when he's about to launch a rocket, that noise is from Battlefront as well. And I love how they bring something that was that noise, that focusing noise was first seen in a game or heard in a game. And now it's on screen. You know, it really is proper cannon. The, the rocket gets fired. Um, the rocket, um, they get, there's a comment that Timothy Oliphant's character makes about it being defective. And he's like, don't blame me. I didn't break it. And I'm pretty sure that's referencing Han Solo, who obviously smashed that, uh, which is what sent Boba Fett into the Salak. So I love, I love that. Um, I think you said to me in the week, you spotted Anakin's old pod engine. Um, which was what he was uh, using as, as his flying device. That's really good. I've really done, thanks. I've really done my research there. Obviously, as you said, the sand people, the banthers, the crate dragon. We've heard so much about the, the, the crate dragon in the novels. Uh, we've seen the skeleton of it in A New Hope. We, it shows up in the game Squadrons. Uh, it's in the novel Thrawn and Aftermath. Um, and now it's it's in there. And of course, there's that famous moment where in A New Hope when Obi-Wan turns up uh, to, to rescue Luke from the sand people and he makes that noise which was the call of a, of a, of a crate dragon, which scared off the Tusken Raiders. And so now we get to see one of those crate dragons. And that was pretty impressive. That whole taking down the dragon scene was pretty impressive. I mean, that was, I, I love how Star Wars does oversized monsters, you know, like the space worm and the asteroid field in empire and the Qui-Gon has his bigger fish, the, mm. the, the big creature in the moor and solo. I mean, they, they just do it so well. I think, I mean, there's so, there's just so much good stuff to talk about in that episode. And I think, you know, not to mention at the very end, um, when we got to see, um, Tim, um, you know, kind of look on as, uh, Boba Fett to, you know, obviously we're going to get him again in the episode potentially. Um, I think, you know, it, it's a shame with that, you know, that fight scene at the very start of the episode that those get shown in the trailer because imagine seeing that fight mm. scene for the first time in the episode. Mm. So great. And I just, I even just love the, when the when the Mandalorian is um you know it, it turns into a bit of an incident and and he kicks uh, baby Yoda's sort of baby carriage you know out of harm's way, I, I think the whole relationship is so great now, and even though and you know we, we've said this was um, season one, even though we can't see any of Pedro Pascal's face, he's all you know completely armored up, um, the child is is a puppet, like we're getting such great emotion from two characters well beyond um, with all the sort of inhibitors in the way, you still feel every moment of it. 
No, you do. And there was some lovely moments. I mean, yeah, the child being the focus of so much of season one was almost like a bystander in this episode in some respects, but there was still every moment with, with him was fantastic, right? Like you talked about the kick scene. There was also the other scene where he senses that things are about to kick off and he pushes his own button to, to seal himself into the capsule, you know, just really good. And what you just said there about um, Tim Morrison um, showing up at the end, obviously, you know, seeing him back, uh, having seen him play Django Fett and having seen him play the clones and, and voice Boba in the, the new editions, whether or not people think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's 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 canon, deal with it. Um, but I was kind of like, um, it was it was great, the whole episode, but I was kind of like, we're only seeing Boba Fett's arm at, and I'm like, I am 900% sure that Boba Fett has survived this, but if they're going to make me wait till like the last episode of the season to prove that, I'm going to be a little bit annoyed. So I was just like, great, just get it out of the way. Just show me he's there and he's walking off and it looks awesome. I was intrigued about, you know, so now he's um, obviously the Mandalorian, now has uh, Boba Fett's armor mm. and he's kind of hitting off. I don't know whether, you know, what, what his next clue is from here. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what that means obviously getting the armor back um wasn't was important to him but it didn't it didn't necessarily i think give the the next moment and, and where his quest is going to take him but I'm, I'm excited to see where we go next yeah and look 1983 was a long time ago so this is a this is historic from from a star wars perspective because for so long we thought that Boba Fett had been eaten destroyed by the sarlacc so many people speculated that he would have escaped and now we know. I love it. Now we know. Yeah, no, look, it was good. I, I'm i super hyped up to, to watch this again this week. And, you know, we talk about this all the time. But I think this is such, it is actually great with a show like this to have another episode to look forward to. And I think if we consumed all of Mandalorian in I don't know, one or two days, this scene could have, the, all, some of these scenes would have been long forgotten. Um, and we would have, and we would have, you know, we would have had all of our, you know, as some of the kids say, we would have had all of our, our sugar, all of our sweets. We've had the sugar hits, and and now what? Whereas I think, you know, with you know, I was, I was saying this to you the other day with, you know, these episodes of Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead that are dropping, The Mandalorian, it's kind of almost nice that it's not quite every day, but every couple of days there's a, a new episode of something to watch, and it's kind of, ah, this is great. This is the way. I, I prefer it this way. I really do because uh, I've we've all been able to sort of hang on that moment of – seeing Tim Morrison, you know, as Kiwis, that's great for us. Would the rewatch that I talked about on Saturday, would that have happened on Saturday? No, it would not. What would have happened is we would have gone straight into more episodes. And so you're, you're absolutely right. And it gets, it gives you that chance to reflect back and really appreciate everything. And one of the things that the second rewatch or the, sorry, the rewatch made me think of just with the Mandalorian, what makes him, I talked last week about how he's so human is this, he seems such a reasonable guy. Like he, he can take out just about anyone, it seems. And he turns up, um, he, he meets Timothy Oliphant's character, and he's he's like, give me the armor. And he can take it if he wants it. But, you know, Timothy's like, oh, help me kill the crate dragon, and you can have it. And Mando's like, okay, deal. Like, he, he's really not that unreasonable. He's just like, he's just, it's going to sound crazy, but he seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> that is true. I I was even surprised when the sheriff gave up the armor at the end. I was like, "There's no twist. There's no." I was waiting for him to all of a sudden become the bad guy, but he yeah. he also was a genuinely nice guy. So um, look, it's great to see that there's some um, there's some nice people in the Star Wars universe. 
I have one question for you, Dan, and I haven't researched this online, so I'm interested to see what you think. What was when the Tuscan Raiders, the Sand People, when they were going through the the remains of the inside of the of the crate dragon? What was that white globe egg thing that they'd found? I believe it's like a like a pearl um, uh, type thing um, that's in the, the in the stomach lining or gut or something. And the only reason I feel like I know that is. I think there might have been some crate dragon. I'm really having to like stretch my my memory here. Is in Knights of the Old Republic, the the video game. I feel like there might have been some crate dragon action, and there was some of those parts were used for something. But um, yeah, I think it's a you know it's obviously a bit of a, a treasure because the only way to get one of those pearls or whatever it is would be to actually kill the crate dragon. Okay. Okay. Great, great to see a dragon after all this time. And I did feel like the great dragon had a real, some of the scenes had a real Jaws-like moment with its mouth open when it was coming towards the camera. I, I hope you appreciated that. It, even the comedy, right? Like, so when you think that the, um, God, what are they called? The the snuffleupagus Ban- elephant things? <laughs> the banthers. <laughs> the banthers. <laughs> when the... Um, you think the banther is going to be used for bait, and it ends up being the Tuscan Raider yeah. that gets taken. That's great. So, and I, I think that's it. like I enjoy some of that Star Wars humor, and I know that um, particularly over the recent years, people are like Star Wars films aren't comedy, but I think some of those moments just bring a, a real human touch to it, and I, I enjoyed them. I agree. All right, Paul, we'll have to tune in again this week for hopefully another great episode. I think the bar is set high, um, but I I believe. I believe. Me too. Me too. And shall we go straight into our Walking Dead recap and remind our listeners that they can use the show notes if they want to jump ahead to the movie of the week section? Yeah, look, definitely. We we know that a lot of a lot of people that listen to this podcast are not Walking Dead fans. Um, so you know, if you do want to jump ahead, we will put the time. Uh, the time codes down in the show notes. But if you just want to listen, as you say, Paul, to our dulcet tones, then you know, strip yourself in. Maybe you want to watch The Walking Dead one day. Maybe this will inspire you too. But as always, we start with uh, The Walking Dead World Beyond and then we'll move on to Fear the Walking Dead. Paul, what did you think of this week's episode of World Beyond? I have to say, first of all, coming into this on the back of The Mandalorian is pretty tough because, you know, we've just talked about how great The Mandalorian was. And I remember, you know, Friday night after watching discovery and then mandalorian it took me ages to get to sleep as i was kind of buzzing so i i feel like i actually need to give well beyond season one episode five two mini reviews okay so I'll, and i'll be quick the first mini review is where i live in a world where i have not heard that it's only going to be two seasons and so in that world i'm thinking that there could be six or seven seasons of the show and in that world i had a great time i absolutely loved the episode i thought it did a great job of of building up the story um how are these guys going to get across a deep river with no boat? And like in previous episodes, telling me some backstory about these kids and how they got to be where they are today. And even better for me, from my perspective, I finally got to see Elton's backstory. And he definitely is one of my favorite characters. Uh, he's a young, geeky kid, maybe a little bit shy, maybe reminds me of someone, I don't know. But I generally found Elton's backstory to be heartbreakingly sad at the end. And, you know, again, we're talking spoilers. 
when his dad said goodbye and left him hidden in that box, I thought it was just terrifying. And then when all the gunshots had stopped and he came out at the end with his dad slumped up against the wall, it was too much. This is a five-year-old kid. I couldn't cope. It was really powerful and it gave me even more connection to Elton. And so I will be really gutted if he is a character that doesn't survive this and he doesn't make it through to the Rick Grimes movie because yeah, he's like a Cal 2.0 for me. He's a real strong finish to this episode. But as I said at the start, simultaneously, my second mini review in the actual world where we live in, where actually this is just a two-season show and we're five episodes into an 11-episode season, I'm really worried now that we're moving at a pace that we will have a story that is of no consequence. If anything, this story should be moving even faster than a regular series. And I'm getting anxious, as you were last week. I'm getting borderline annoyed. And it's because of this two-season thing. How about you, Dan? So for anyone that comes from the the old world of um, Night Gathers or um, has heard my previous thoughts on Walking Dead, I am obviously going to keep watching this show, but I thought this episode kind of sucked. And I think there are some things in there that were kind of annoying me. And it's not necessarily down to one particular thing, but it's a collection of small little things which are just sort of bothering me. So one, I'm, I completely agree with your second review, Paul, in the sense that we're halfway through the first season. What are we doing? Like we're just making these little small jumps in story. But these are some of the things that bothered me. One, why I feel like all of these kids who were born into this universe have basically known nothing but trauma, yet they are constantly kind of like, emo kids said about um what's going on about their you know they've obviously lost lost parents and and i think you know this this is heavy stuff but i think you've been born into a world where there's there's walkers and there's zombies and things that are trying to kill you your friends are dying most people's families have got some terrible incident it seems kind of weird to me that that it's such a big focus of these characters and I, i get that it is because that's what we're about as society. We're about these kind of character-driven things. But in the context of who these young people are, it kind of is a little bit not quite right for me. The second thing is how the hell do all of these cast members who wear white T-shirts keep them clean? I can't even wear a white T-shirt to work for the day and come home without some type of stain on it. And these guys are fighting zombies, crawling through old sheds, and they've always got these pristine white T-shirts. And they've got really good, clean white teeth as well, right? Yeah, not not to mention all, all the makeup that, that that's going on. Um, then I think there's like kind of these like weird uh, plot points in the story that get used and then kind of forgotten for for lack of a, of a better term. I think like like for example in this episode. One of the big threats was they were in the middle of a lightning storm, and so they they were they were kind of like we've got to move quickly, we've got to get this boat out before the lightning storm happens, and so that was kind of a a driving plot point for most of the episode. And then at a certain point, it was like, nah, we're done with that. Let's just get focused on getting this boat in the water. And all of a sudden, the lightning storm hasn't even been talk, talked about. There's no more lightning. It's we're back to blue skies. Like what, what's happening? For those of you who can't see the live video feed of Dan Whiting, there's 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 a lot of anger and it's it's really entertaining. I feel like one day uh, a live version with video will be really entertaining because uh, uh, look, I hear everything you're saying there, and you're absolutely right. And I feel like you've you've balanced out my 
maybe over positivity around the stuff around that where I live in that world where it's not two seasons. Can I ask you what you've just said to me? If you lived in that other world that I just talked about where we actually think this is seven or eight seasons, are you happy with the episode? Or is it still all those things don't stand up? No, look, I would probably be, I would probably be okay with it because I'd be thinking we're kind of like building up some, some bigger plot points. Um, I, I think it's just because I know, I, I feel like the doomsday clock is ticking and I worry that we're going to have to do some real rapid, we, we, you know, we're going to do that thing where uh, Game of Thrones did it where sometimes it'll take us a whole season for someone to get to get between two castles but then like as we get a little bit further on people are moving between castles and like within half an, half an episode um, and so I, I, I think I almost wish I didn't know it was just two episodes because I think that's really impacting how I feel about the show. I do agree also with what you said um, it, with, with your first half of the review with Elton. I think his backstory definitely was incredibly sad. I think what a what a horrible experience to go through as a, as a young person. Um, my one final point of just sort of like, you know, my – I think I just like to complain about the show, but I'm also not going to stop watching it. So just whatever. This is what I'm about. Is, you know, when they were working out, okay, how do we get the steam engine going? And they're like, kind of like, oh, we need something to like, blah, 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 blah. This will create steam. And I was just like, oh, come on, man. Like, like how, like. They check Wikipedia or something. Were they on YouTube looking at how-to videos? Yeah. I'll tell you something that did blow my mind is like, but while they were kind of like, talking about that Samara was obviously paying way more attention to me and she's like oh they should use the the nail polish remover or whatever <laughs> and I was like oh cool. clearly you're going to be a good person in the apocalypse but I, I was just like this is this is crazy we're not building a steam engine we're we got we're all swimming let's go guys let's let's roll let's get our white t-shirts dirty correct oh well that's um that's season one episode five of the world beyond I have to be honest I was just by you a I was going to say rambling. That's unfair. While you were moaning, that's that's, that's more my ranting. That's the one I want. I did look at the uh, the uh, the ratings, and it's coming in low. Like these ratings are coming in around five, sometimes under five out of ten, and so that doesn't bode well. It has, I have to be honest. Um, so I think the thing is though, like they're low, but I think because it's such a small commitment. And it, and, it, and it kind of probably feeds the some of the wider collective plot points, particularly when you start talking about Rick Grimes movies. Um, and I think some of its connections to fear. And I think some of the connections that when we get um, Walking Dead, um, the core season back, that I think they'll, they'll soldier on with it anyway. And I would imagine that, you know, most people that are Walking Dead fans aren't probably just randomly starting with the show. They're used to... Um, you know, that slightly older cohort of people, they're used to kind of like knowing that there's this kind of grittier, harder story. And, and this isn't what this is about. And I, I think it's never pitched itself as that. Mm. Um, but I think the problem is, is the fan base is the, uh, is, is the OG. Should we go across to um, Fear the Walking Dead, Season 6, Episode 4, Dan? Well, this, I want to do a complete 180 here. Now this is Walking Dead. This, you know, you when you said Paul that you know Fear the Walking Dead is, you know, you put it sort of in, in your top tier Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I think this episode was fantastic. I, you know, I've watched my recap. You know, as, as you mentioned, uh, so I, I know some of the things going on. I just, 
the John Dory, such a fantastic character. I would watch an entire Walking Dead um, series based purely around him. I think he's got that real. He's kind of like a, a like a different version of um, of Rick, right? Like he used mm. to be a cop. That's right. He's got a great ca- he's got a great cowboy vibe. He's ultimately a good guy. I feel like this episode was really great because it, it gave us a time to really focus on him as a character, and it it kind of I think what it what it did quite well is it kind of um, showed how where they're living right now kind of had like really pushed against his values in a way that he didn't quite like, but he got rewarded in the end for not doing something that his values would have normally sort of sent him down a path of. And it made it a a really enjoyable episode because I think we got to, he got to go and avenge the the situation the best he could. Um, But he also kind of is in the, like, you know, he's, he's looped into the, that, that wider sort of um, bad guy, bad guy story. It was great seeing June again. This was a great episode. What did you think? I'll come with you as well. Again, this is you know four episodes in a row now, so this is a great place for someone to jump in and make it a decision if they they want to watch Walking Dead or not. I enjoyed that whole story around John, just like you. He's so great with his gun, right? He just looks like a genuine gunslinger. He's so like I don't know if if that's something he brought to the role or if he learned it in terms of you know becoming that character. I love the way they they give us that really bittersweet ending as well. I thought that was quite clever because we get to see. Yeah, I guess he's done everything right in the eyes of the the big baddie, Virginia. So he kind of gets that promotion, which means that now he no longer has to be split from June and June can come over with him. But as nice as that is, seeing them reunited, it doesn't feel right to John because, as you said, he's he's like Rick. He's a man of justice. He doesn't like what's happened. And so, yeah, he didn't like what Victor did. I love seeing main characters go at each other. I really enjoyed that fight. That looked pretty brutal. I reckon they would have had a great great time doing that when the camera cut i reckon they i reckon they might have had a few bumps and bruises there um and so i guess i'm hoping from for a big reaction from john in the next few episodes because he's he's um he's kind of been forced to do what he's doing by virginia and um yeah it's a it's a, it's a, it's a it was a really interesting dynamic and a, a really as you say real walking dead real strong episode I also really felt for John uh, the whole episode. He had toothache, and I was kind of weird. Like I was really hoping that Victor was gonna, when he punched him, was gonna knock that tooth out because nice. I didn't want John to have to pull it out. Um, and I think that was such a horrific moment. It sent him to take his own tooth out, and I think it also kind of spoke to how stoic his character is in the sense that he could have gone to the the, the community dentist and probably got that taken care of, but. John's the type of guy that he doesn't want to owe any favors. He doesn't want to um, tie up, you know, the dentist who could be helping someone else more in need than him. And I think that it just speaks so much to his character. He's a great guy. He would he would fit in well with Mando and Timothy Oliphant, right? The three of them. There's a show waiting to happen just on the subject of the tooth coming out. Because I feel like I give Diana a hard time when I'm watching a horror movie and she's jumping up in the air. If Diana was on this podcast talking, she would be telling you about my reaction to watching John pull his own tooth out, I could not cope. I was I was almost in a fetal position, rolled up on the couch, not watching the screen. It was too much. It was credit to his acting. Indeed, indeed. Now, there was a scene in this episode that um, I can't take credit for this. This is a, a, a bit of trivia I read on, on the internet. 
about how Virginia could actually have a connection to Maggie from The Walking Dead. So remember when Virginia is giving John his key mm. and she, she gives him a little presentation and she, and she does this speech. This is what she says. Goodness has prevailed all because of one man's dogged pursuit of the truth. With good, decent men like him on watch, the future of our little enterprise is bright with promise. You were a hero in our hour of need. Please accept the small token of our gratitude, a key to the future, our future. And so there's some subtle messaging in there. And if you go back to um, the, the Walking Dead, when Maggie was um, – interacting with a lady called Georgia and um, it was back in season eight uh, episode 12 I think it was um, and basically gave uh, Georgia gave Maggie um, this this document called the key um, and and that was sort of like this is how to kind of restart remember and in those documents were things like windmills and farming and blah 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 but it does kind of speak to I wonder whether you know we'll be on they're the Walking Dead, the Walking Dead. There is a, a, a big crossover coming that I'm really hoping is going to blow my mind and connect all of this up and turn me into a, a real positive guy. Oh, I'd like that too. I'm That's great. I mean, I'd like that storyline as opposed to you becoming a positive guy. I, I really like that. I love the attention to detail. I love that someone's picked that up. The more I think about it, and more feasible it seems it seems like you know she's she's got that similar uh twang to maggie if you like and in, in terms of you know where she's from and her, her values albeit presented in a slightly different way i think it's really really possible so um that's a nice it's a nice little fine she annoys me virginia as well so um that would be a real interesting when i when i say she annoys me actually what annoys me is actually i'm going to give a little bit of a gripe here it's not it's not Virginia that annoys me. It's the fact that I don't understand why our guys, why they're not able to escape this place. It looks pretty big and wide open to me, and I don't get it. And I also don't get how, in general, they don't seem too bothered about the predicament they find themselves in. They sort of almost seem to have accepted it. Do you know what I mean? And Virginia's kind of won without having to even try hard. See, I think this is where I... I kind of have a little bit more compassion for our Fear the Walking Dead crew because... They, you know, over the the six seasons, they've lived in a variety of different situations, both good, a lot bad, and I think you probably, as you're going through this, um, through this world, where there's probably any form of community safety, it might be a bit grey about whether your your values align, but it probably, you know, you probably just need a bit of time every now and again to kind of like regroup. Like, mm. you know, heal up, get well. And I wonder whether, because I'm with you, I think that if they wanted to escape, they could do it at, at any point. But it probably, there is probably something about how much can I keep fighting all the time? And maybe it serves their needs for this particular moment. Maybe, yeah. That's, yeah, no, I, I, that could be a, a, a fair argument. So, um, I think the other character we probably just need to give a, a quick shout out to is I, it was so great to see Morgan again in this episode. And, I really love the new Morgan, complete badass. He's, you know, he's always been great with the, with his bow staff, but, you know, bow staff combined with his axe, yep. 
So great. I'm, I'm intrigued about this key that he's wearing around his neck. Where's that all heading? I, I really, when he got T-boned at that intersection, mm. I really thought that was going to be some of Virginia's people. Um, but no, in, intriguing. I, I like that they've given me uh, a, a main character story but continued sort of the the wider overarching story. I think that's a good way to keep it moving. I think that's really good um, observation, Dan, because, you know, that that's – they, we started with that first episode just purely with Morgan. Then we got the next episode, and it was purely Alicia and Victor and, and Daniel. And then we got the, the third episode was basically Dwight and Elle. And now we've kind of got a John. And and it's kind of – they are sort of like character episodes. But what they did last night was, was, was pretty good with bringing – Morgan back in and sort of like spreading the the characters across episodes. So um, yeah, I'd like to see that because you know otherwise we don't see characters. I don't mean, like we haven't seen Alicia in like three weeks. So it'd be good to to sort of bring a bit more of that in. Good observation. So yeah, that's our, our Walking Dead. Every week, I think oh, it'll just be a few minutes of Walking Dead, but it's always a good ten plus minutes, isn't it, Paul? We can't yeah. we can't get enough of it. That's right. Well, shall we move towards our movie of the week? Why not? How does that work, Dan? Well, (laughs) who knows? I wish someone knew around here. So every week, uh, Paul and I choose a – we take turns choosing a movie, um, and we share that movie in the uh, Discord channel. So if you want to watch the movie before we talk about it, make sure you come and join us there. Uh, but this week, the movie that um, Paul offered up was Dr. Sleep. So this is a, a 2019 movie, and it's actually a, a follow-up to The Shining, which was a, a movie that came out in um, 1980. So before we talk about Doctor Sleep, what I thought we could do is just do a little bit of a, of a recap of The Shining. So, for me personally, it's been a really, really long time since I've seen The Shining, and so I decided to rewatch that movie, which you can do on, in New Zealand. You can watch it on Netflix. Nice. Uh, before watching Doctor Sleep, so and I, when we announced this movie, um, everyone sort of again, big shout out to Sador. Make sure you're you're up to date on The Shining. Make sure it's sort of fresh in your mind. And I think really good call because Doctor Sleep has so many references and so many sort of key key components, which I think are important from The Shining. So if it's not if it's not familiar to you, if it's not fresh, then this is one to watch. So the basic premise of The Shining, and and this is a, a classic film, right? This is Jack Nicholson breaking down a door with an axe, saying saying here's Johnny. Like we've we've all seen the memes, we've all seen the we've seen that scene. It's a it's been in Family Guy. It's it, it, it's everywhere. But so the the basic premise is so Jack Torrance, who's played by Jack Nicholson, becomes a, a winter caretaker in an isolated. Um, hotel in Colorado and so this hotel basically gets snowed in for the winter and so he goes there as the as the caretaker with his wife and son and they they look after the place and um Jack's there he's actually a writer and he he wants to use this time to basically try to cure his his writer's his writer's block and and finally write his great American novel um but sort of his son Danny is plagued by psychic uh, premonitions and has has this thing basically, which is referred to as uh, the shine, which is basically where you see 
spirits or psychic premonitions or what, what do you, whatever you want to call them. And so as the, this family's living in this big empty hotel, um, Jack sort of becomes, you know, to be honest, a homicidal maniac who's um, hell-bent on terrorising his family. And Danny, the son, has more and more disturbing experiences. Now, this movie is, you know, this is directed by Stanley Kubrick. It's a, it's a classic, guys. It's, it would probably be at least 20 years since I've seen this film. And it wasn't, it's, it wasn't as scary as I remember it. Like it was, I think, but it still sort of stood the test of time, but it's more kind of that real kind of psychological thriller. I didn't sort of find myself sort of having any jump scares or kind of being like, you know, um, spooked at, at any point, but it, it was a, a really good watch. Um, I think Stanley Kubrick does, um, Kubrick does some really um, awesome story. He's got some really awesome storytelling techniques and I think the way he uses film, the angles that he uses, it's a great watch. Like even on um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's got 93%. So definitely a, a classic Classic horror film, Stephen King novel. You can't go too wrong. You've seen The Shining, haven't you, Paul? Yeah, and uh, like you, I haven't seen it for a long, long time. I think I remember another one of those classic sort of introduced to it by my dad movies. And uh, we watched, Diana and I watched a th- uh, like a, one of those five-minute recaps to get us ready for Doctor Sleep. But I think I think what you did is the deeper dive is probably m- way more uh, rewarding. And just even seeing that recap, it was just brought back a lot of good memories from that film and just how iconic it is. And I just, I just don't know what it is. It's just, there's, there's something about some of those scenes that are just so well filmed so long, you know, 40 years ago and just really stood the test of time. Um, interesting. You said it's not quite as scary as perhaps it was then. Um, but Jack Nicholson, uh, an incredible performance. When I think of Jack, you know, we, we think of him as the Joker, um, I often think of him in The Departed, but the the, the other one I go with is this. Uh, it's one of those absolutely, you know, defining roles. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a good one. Um, Paul, do you want to sort of give us a bit of an overview of what Doctor Sleep is all about? Yeah, so um, so this, as you say, takes place. We we pick up the. The, the story of, of Danny um, as an adult. And let me just bring up a, a little bit of a, so yeah, we've got years following the events of The Shining and now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers uh, from a cult known as the, the True Knots. And these guys prey on children um, that have these powers in order for they, for themselves to remain immortal. And so, what this movie does well, I thought, and I don't know, I, I think you're better placed to, to answer this because you watched The Shining more recently, obviously. It kind of brings you into modern day for Dan, where he lives, by just taking you right back to some of those key moments at the end of The Shining and just sort of reliving some of those through memories. And, you know, they've revisited the, the hotel in exquisite detail. And then we come into Dan's life as he is now. and Things have changed a lot for him, but you can see he's been pretty messed up by what happened in The Shining. 
Yeah, I think what's really cool about this movie is, so they do go back to the Overlook Hotel and they also have a lot of um, flashbacks uh, to when uh, Dan well, Danny was, was younger and there was actually several moments where I'm like, is that the original footage or have they actually have they reshot this? And it's obviously all um, reshoots, but mm. I think they did, having watched The Shining and Dr. Sleep all in one day, they did a fantastic job, I think, of bridging that gap. And I think one of my favourite things about this movie is I think the the deeper level of detail they go into with The Shine. And I think their way of showing – your McGregor does such a, a fantastic job of a, of a of kind of a damaged character who's mm. kind of had this, you know, for lack of a better word, curse all his life, and it's kind of led, led him sort of to – alcoholism and drugs and, and and whatever but now he's, he's kind of turned that around but and he kind of knows how to use his his power for good and I think what's quite good about Dr. Sleep is it's actually a really different premise from The Shining because The Shining is one of those um, movies which is a little bit claustrophobic because you're basically in in one sort of core location whereas Dr. Sleep is actually way more out in the open and there's there's many different scenes and there's many different characters and there's a whole bunch of different things happening but I think they do it in such a well what I found a, a great kind of uh, tasteful way to the original content but mm. took it to a, another level I you know the the whole notion of this kind of group of um, people who sort of refer to themselves as not like they were they were great bad guys and kind of terrifying the way that they would particularly the way that they would prey on children the way that they um, basically tried to extinguish life and that and that basically gave them power I think uh, the young girl um, who was Abra Stone mm. I thought was such a such a badass like you know so young but basically going you know also had the shine like um, like Danny Torrance um, but almost to a, a a superhuman superhero type level yeah that was actually one of the notes i made i said you know how good was kylie karen as abra at uh, 14 years old just a, a such an amazing measured performance and honestly i felt she kind of made the movie for me and i feel like if you'd given that role to someone who wasn't convincing i feel the whole movie could have actually unraveled so she's definitely a rising star she was as you say you know her her shine is the brightest shining ever seen and so we had you know this isn't the first time this has happened to Ewan McGregor, you know. He he bumped into Anakin Skywalker, who had the, the highest metachlorian count. He keeps bumping into these people. Actually, on the subject of Obi-Wan, all jokes aside, I did struggle in the first moments in that film when he had the beard because I've never seen him look more Obi-Wan since he was Obi-Wan as he did at the start of this movie. So I was really relieved when he, when he sh- shaved that beard off because um, it was only two weeks ago when we reviewed Birds of Prey and I actually said to you, oh, I haven't seen Ewan McGregor in much recently. Well, here he is front and center and this, I guess, is really a sequel that I never saw coming. You know, the, the Shining always felt pretty standalone to me. So this was quite a, quite exciting to sit down and watch for me as someone who isn't not necessarily always into this genre, as you know. And um, I did also see that it was written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who made this movie in between The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, which um, obviously you've just watched as well. So um you know, for him to be the, the the writer of this after you've just watched Bly Manor, I think that's quite quite cool timing. Yeah, I think a great shout about uh, your McGregor. 
definitely had such strong Obi-Wan vibes. And again, it actually got me kind of excited for the, um, not that I need to get any more excited for the Obi-Wan mm-hmm. TV series that's coming because I just think he, that look is so classic. I also think um, these moments in the, in the start of this movie, particularly where um, Dan is talking to Dick Halloran, and I think, you know, if you hadn't have watched The Shining, that's like a classic moment you would have missed because even having just watched The Shining, I was like, oh, what's – is this before the, the incident? And then I, I kind of remembered about, obviously, the how the, how the, how the shine worked. And I actually – I really liked the idea of um, how Dan would kind of lock up those – the bad ghosts in his mind, mm. but they were still kind of there to be unlocked. I loved in this movie how, you know, the, the the end of it all had to end up back at the Overlook Hotel, and I love that they ended up back in the maze. Um, I love that they, you know, had a reference to Jack Nicholson. Obviously, uh, they couldn't use actual the Jack Nicholson, but again, I just I think they've just done everything so well to not damage the original, but take it in a, another direction. And I'm with you. I, I wouldn't have ever thought that a sequel needed to be made to this movie. I know that this is a has been a book for a, a long time, but mm-hmm. I had a I had a great time. I give this all the guns. I, I want to pick up on what you talked about with the the attention to detail. I really appreciated that in terms of when they recreated those scenes from The Shining, in particular, you know, Danny as a kid on his tricycle, the the hotel carpet, just all immaculate, just real attention. And of course, yeah, that that scene at the bar with you and McGregor that he goes to at the end when he starts the conversation there, you know, I thought that was absolutely superb. You were right. Dick Halloran um, was, was really brilliant in this. I think the guy, Carl Lumbly, uh, who I always remember from alias, I thought he was, he was really convincing in that role. There was a lot of great, I think all of the main cast actually were, were really, really good. Did you, you know, the, what was that gang called? The knot? You know, the, did you, yeah, did you spot the guy who played the, the old grandpa flick? He was, um, cause you're an old Adams family fan, aren't you? That was, uh, the guy who played Lurch. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you might spot that very unusual face mm-hmm. shape, really good character actor. My, I think my main criticism of this, and I'm at the risk of sounding like Dan Whiting, I felt there was an opportunity here <laughs> to, to have made this movie into maybe like a three, part tv miniseries because i felt like it was just like a little bit too long like like maybe even like a good half hour too long like and i've noticed that a lot of stephen king books that get made into movies often do this we talked about this with um it chapter two um i feel like if they want to tell that richer story which i'm all about then do it over a three-part tv series because i might have appreciated that more just felt a little long but minor minor criticism and I wonder whether, you know, in a in the COVID world that we live in, if this movie was to come out in 2020, that could have actually been a cool way to release it, right, in, in sort of a, a mini-series type way. Um, I guess it, there is something that maybe kind of cheapens it sometimes when it's a mini-series, though, I guess, but that's, that's just me talking aloud. I think the other character we've got to give a shout-out is Cliff Curtis, you know, great, mm. great New Zealand lad. So always always love seeing a, a Kiwi in, the, in, you know, big global movies. Yeah, Billy Freeman. It was uh, good to see. Yeah, he was really good because I haven't, I haven't seen him since Fear the Walking Dead, actually. I haven't seen him in a long time. I thought he was really impressive in this movie. Um, yeah. I think my my only um, my only uh, critique of this would be, I think, when 
um, your McGregor um, convinces Cliff Curtis to come with him, and they basically start um, sniper shooting the not members of the knot. And I just um, I, I laugh to myself that, um, that that Cliff Curtis's character would just be like, "All right, then if that's what we've got to do." You know, like <laughs> it was kind of like I don't think he needed much like selling of like we're going to have to take these people out. But anyway, for the sake of the plot, I think it you know it still worked. Um, and they, they had just found um, that young boy that had been murdered, so that was probably more than enough um, rationale for some of these things to happen. Mm. No, good call, good call. This is a great choice, Paul. I feel like um, I actually feel like it's getting harder and harder to choose modern movies of the of the week. Um, the well is definitely feeling a little bit drier, but you know what? There's no shortage of movies for us to review. So if you want to check out what our movie review movie review of the week is this week make sure you swing past our discord channel and then you can uh, watch along too chime in on the conversation correct and if you're in new zealand and want to watch this movie you can find it on the neon nz platform all right so it must be time for a little bit of news indeed it is dan and i'm not coming into this with too much news, but what I can tell you is that one of my favorite actors um, from Gotham, uh, and this is the the actor um, Donal Logue, uh, who played the character Harvey Bullock, um, he has just been cast to lead as the lead actor in the Resident Evil origin film. So um, whilst that main franchise with Milo Jovovich has has finished. Uh, the Resident Evil universe is is matching on with the origin film, and so um, I'm really excited to see him in this because I haven't seen much of him. And he is a great character actor. And I, to say that he's my favourite character actor in Gotham was as as Harvey Bullock when there was like twenty to thirty huge Gotham Batman type characters in that TV series, and he played really a lesser known one uh it was credit to his performance so so that's that's pretty cool um obviously the i think we should acknowledge the sad news this week of sean connery's passing which is um it's you know we we actually just we did a peak performance on him didn't we a, a few weeks back and so we, we sort of talked about a lot of his work but um just you know it really inspired us to sort of think should we should we watch a sean connery movie should we go back we actually talked about watching all the bond movies again but uh 90 years old uh passed in his sleep um, which i guess is probably as good as it gets right but um yeah sad news definitely definitely and then, you know we talked about him a lot it's one of our one of our favorite bonds so um yeah, thoughts uh, thoughts to his family during these uh, tough times. All right, what have I got? What have I got on my news desk, Paul? So um, what have I got here? So You, season three, um, has officially started filming again. So I am um, I am weirdly a really big fan of You on Netflix. I think it's one of those guilty pleasures that – I've loved that it's come out on Boxing Day or something, the last two Christmases. And so I'm excited to see that they've started season three. I can't wait to see the return of Joe Goldberg as our um, our key protagonist. Though it looks like, because of all the delays, this 
I don't think is scheduled to finish sort of or wrap shooting until April next year. So I imagine we're not going to get this for a little while, but I am excited to see uh, you season three. I find it a real guilty pleasure, pleasure watch and yeah, it's it's a good one, Paul. I forget. I know we've talked about the show in the past, but have you? What are you a U fan? Mm, yeah, we've watched the first two seasons. I think, I think we finished this just prior to kicking this whole podcast gig off. Actually, I think that's possibly why we haven't sort of talked about it on air before. But yeah, we we watched both the first two seasons, enjoyed enjoyed both of them, and uh, yeah, I'll, we'll definitely be on board for some for some season three for sure. Awesome. Um, also, a little bit of news for the Dungeons and Dragons fans out there: that um, Hasbro has a live-action TV show in development. So, this isn't the first time that Dungeons and Dragons has been brought to the the small screen. It's obviously a, a genre which you know you can see it in things like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. It, it, it's very much got that sort of vibe. So. Really intrigued to see what they do with it. I think uh, Dungeons and Dragons has had a huge surge in popularity um, over the last. I think it's always been popular, but I think shows like Stranger Things and just I think internet culture in general have made it such a a popular um, game amongst friends everywhere. So really intrigued to see what they do with that TV show. I've got a little bit of nine nine news for you, Paul. Nine. So uh nine nine. So um Brooklyn nine nine season seven is apparently coming out on the sixth of February. So um <clears throat> that news broke via Instagram. How um by one of the one of the act, uh, actresses, but how real that is, um not too sure, but either way. I'm definitely excited. I think it's going to be um, only about 13 episodes long for this season. Um, and I know that they've had some pretty big rewrites with everything that's been going on, particularly in America. Um, so I'm in, I'm intrigued to see what they do with that show and even, I guess, the role that, that, that comedy and humour plays um, in a 2021 Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. I imagine it will be very different, as you said before, but you know, with recent events, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they do that, what it looks like. Mm. And then one final bit of news. So I don't know, this is a movie that I, I actually watched quite a bit as a teenager, and I, I often wonder, do I actually like scary films? Like I'm beginning to wonder if maybe I do, but I'm just kind of in denial about it. But you may remember a movie called The People Under the Stairs. And so this was a, a Wes Craven um, film. When I was a teenager growing up, it was definitely a, a real spooky concept, but it was one of those films where, you know, it kind of had a bit of social commentary on um, on society. Anyway, um, Jordan Peele um, is producing a remake of People Under the Stairs, and I'm definitely – I'm excited, I'm intrigued. I think Jordan Peele – Equally loves to do a bit of social commentary. You know, he's done that um, with movies like Us. Um, and I, the other one that he made is slipping my mind right now. Get Out. Get Out is what it's called. Um, and I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what they do with this one. It's a, I, I imagine the people under the stairs maybe isn't a great watch in 2020, but back at a young teenage Daniel really enjoyed it. I have never heard of this movie, and I'm just looking. Even the poster itself screams late 80s, early 90s, and the, I love that appeal. I do love that appeal. 
Yeah, yeah. Like it was a classic. I, I remember it was one of, you know, I think what our maybe our younger listeners need to appreciate is back in our day, Paul, like you maybe only had access to a few different VHSs. Correct. And if this was one of them, this is what you're watching, you know? And you just watched it until there was nothing else to watch. And then you shared it around with your friends and you watched whatever they had. So, yeah, look, that, that's me for the, the news desk this week. Let's pop on over to the uh, the mailbag. The mailbag, indeed. My goodness, I remember those VHS days. Going into the local store and whatever was there was going to be your entertainment for the evening. Those days have gone long ago. Mailbag. Um, so first up, our World Beyond review that we did last week. That caught the eye of um, Annette Mahindra, um, the actress who plays Huck, uh, in the series who we, we talked about last week um she posted a photo of our review on her instagram story which was very cool um oh, did i mention i love the walking dead world beyond that's correct dan that's right i'm a real i'm a real fan it's it's, it's about the good work it, i think it's great that we're, we're honest you know we're, we're we're keeping it real we're keeping the positivity but we're also calling it as we see it what else have i got carla gugino um she's the narrator in The Haunting of Bly Manor. And she also appears in Haunting of Hill House and Watchmen and uh, a number of Hollywood movies. Um, so she shared our podcast post of um, Haunting of Bly Manor with her followers on Twitter. Um, our Mandalorian post, that got picked up by Kate Roger, who is the News Hub entertainment editor and film reviewer for TV3, which for people outside of New Zealand is basically one of what, what are we talking about? One of two, two major TV networks here in New Zealand. So that was pretty cool. And we actually had a conversation online uh, with her about how awesome it was to have uh, Tim Morrison back in the Star Wars universe representing New Zealand. And she's now following us on our social media, which I think makes sense, right, Dan? Because, you know, it's her job. Uh, she needs to know what to watch as well. So um, so that was pretty cool. If she wants to be connected to the the fastest growing podcast in New Zealand, then this is the one to one to follow. I'd like to see your stats. Welcome. Stats to back that up. Um, so, 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 we had some late votes come in for our Lucy Liu um, peak performance. Uh, Kill Bill got a lot of mentions again. And we also had one for Marry Me, which I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of before, but that came from someone who runs a Lucy Lou fan site and is a promoter of her artwork exhibitions. So if anything, they know Lucy Lou way better than any of us. So um, Marry Me is a recommendation there. Uh, last week's peak performance, we did the director's chair for Steven Spielberg. Um, we had a vote from Ryan on our socials for Minority Report. And he said, this movie was groundbreaking at its time and it's time for a rewatch. So um, I'm not sure if he's talking to himself or he's talking to us, but a uh, minority report. Good call. I mean, we all picture Tom Cruise moving his hands about moving the screen at the time. It was groundbreaking, right? Um, also on Spielberg, um, Ireland's answer to empire magazine, AKA Paddy Fox came in with his usual three, two, one uh, finish of last crusade, Raiders of the lost ark and saving private Ryan. Um, also a comment on your discussion, Dan, last week about The Haunting of Blind Manor, um, recommending for you, uh, this is this comment's directed at you, to definitely check out the sister series, Haunting of Hill House, adding uh, that it's a bit scarier, but the story is incredibly engaging, has some great acting, and apparently some incredible camera work as well. So uh, so there we go. Uh, 
question for you, Dan. Everyone's talking to you in the mailbag this week, Dan, uh, uh, about Tenet uh, from Michael. Uh, is this the movie that most resembles a Rubik's Cube from uh, Christopher Nolan? Michael thinks so. I haven't watched it yet, so I'll have to wait and see. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, to, to be honest, I it's actually a movie I'd, I'd like to see a few more times. Um, and it's a it's a movie I'd actually I would like to watch in the context of watching some other um, Christopher Nolan movies as well, like Inception. Hmm. Um, and just to kind of, you know, maybe think more more deeply about that question. But it is a movie that makes you want to think in different directions, think how um, the concept of time and real kind of – I'm definitely having a stroke, Paul. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I've told you. I, I'm cooked. Not, not, I'm cooked. Not my room. I'm cooked. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, no, look, I think it's it, it is good. It's um, it, it probably it does probably resemble that. I don't know if I'd, I'd ever thought about it in that way. Um, let's, let's, sure, why not? Why not? Why not? Um, we also had a lot of love again on the, the damn winding man uh, bandwagon here. A lot of love for for Paddington, um, the the movie you talked about last week, um, including uh, who have we got here. Uh, Tara from Star- Starship Tempest, uh, which is a Star Trek podcast. Um, she really enjoyed it. She said they've been watching it uh, with their three kids uh, because they've been reading all the patenting books to them and thought the movie was delightful. Also, Trisha from uh, Doctor Who podcast, Time Traveling Team, um, a massive fan of this movie and uh, – a lot of jokes going on between her and Paddy, of course, with the name Paddington. Great fun there. And the final thing here, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Mike, um, aka Virgil Tracy, um, he started listening to our podcast right from the start. And uh, he's all caught up. He's 100% up to date with his Half Measures podcast. He's been going hard, which is great. So now that he's up to date, we hope to start hearing from him in real time, which would be pretty cool. And if you want to get in touch with us, then feature in the mailbag, then Half Measures Pod for Instagram, for Twitter, for Facebook, um, or you can get in touch by our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com. Amazing, amazing. I love um, our listeners' commitment to going back to the early episodes and, and going on the journey. I don't know if that's a journey I could take, and I was there recording them. So um, big shout-out to you, and um, thanks for sticking with it. Well, Paul, it must be that time where normally this is this is the point in the show where we might talk about our peak performances, and so – for those new listeners, that's where normally we choose a, an, an actor and an actress, and we um, would we would have a bit of a, a discussion around what we think are their their peak performances. Um, we've been mixing it up a little bit lately, and we've turned our peak performances into the director's chair. And so this week we are talking about Mr. Ridley Scott. Paul, I'm going to let you go first. What? What are your director's chair recommendations for Ridley Scott? How long have you got? Honestly, this is your choice, Dan. What a great choice. Honestly, we could we could genuinely do a whole podcast on Ridley Scott, and who knows, maybe one day we will. But for anyone who's listened to this this 
I guess a few times. I don't think my my winner for this will probably come as much of a surprise. But but really, Scott is one of those directors that every time a movie of his comes out, it gets my attention. It makes me consider a trip to the to the movie theater, or at least it did pre COVID, right? And it all stems back from a history of delivering those massive quality movies. And of course, it all started with Alien. So that was where that's where I would start at that nineteen seventy nine classic. This is. Because I've talked a bit about scary movies and how it's not for me, but this is one of the scariest movies ever. And this is exactly the kind of scary movie that I do go for because it mixes in that sci-fi blend. And it is the standard that I have judged so many sci-fi movies by, let alone sort of scary movies. It's certainly the one I benchmark alien movies against, and it's just never aged. Um, and it's just it's just such a compelling, compelling movie. I think I've I think I've talked about this before, but it's it's how he keeps the alien hidden for so much of the movie that it really builds up that tension and it adds to the fear and the terror of not really knowing what you're dealing with. It's, it's just, it's amazing. Um, my runner up for Ridley Scott though is a movie I've watched many times. And then if you remember, we did a, a 10 movies that define us podcast back in episode six. Well, this movie was on that list and that movie is, uh, Hannibal. Um, so I've said it before, this is a movie that was up against an impossible task, trying to follow up an all-time classic like The Science of the Lambs and do it without Jodie Foster. And despite all the critics, this is a movie I find absolutely fascinating. And so much of that I put down to Ridley Scott and his his direction, his style that he brings to it. I feel I also feel that like he must have had quite a bit of pressure on him because he was coming into this straight off the back of Gladiator which was his movie immediately prior to this. And of course there was, you know, just there was so much expectation after what he did with that. But the, what, his story with Lecter is just amazing. The idea of Hannibal being out of escape from captivity on the loose in Italy is just absolutely superb. But my winner, and as I said, probably predictable, is Prometheus. And this movie brings everything from me. It's, it remains to, to this day probably my number one movie for if I was to try and showcase what high definition looks like on a, on a good quality TV, the opening three minutes of this movie are second to none. Honestly, stick it on and just watch those first three minutes. It's, it's so good. It's, it's so, if I'm home alone and doing a, a movie marathon, I'm really prone to putting this one on. Um, it takes so many boxes for me. I love it. And yeah, so much of that down to Ridley Scott. And I think all of my choices, the movies I've talked about there, that actually do reflect as you know as someone who doesn't do scary movies alien hannibal prometheus they all bring an element of fear that makes me feel uncomfortable and on edge and i think no other director does that as well as ridley scott so yeah that's my director's chair peak performance for ridley scott how about you yeah i think that this was this is really tough i think ridley scott is one of those directors and producers that has just been involved in so many, so many classics. It's really hard to choose my favorite. And so I guess what I've done is I've kind of pulled out three, which I've really, are really up there for me. But again, I, I could easily swap any one of these movies out for another one in his back catalog. Um, depending on, on the mood and what, what type of vibe you're going for. But if I guess if I go sort of um, 
top three that sort of come to mind for this conversation. I'm going to go with the the 2001 uh, Black Hawk Down movie. Mm. I thought like this was such a uh, awesome modern day uh, war film. You know, we, we've talked a bit about war films recently. I think this has got a, a stellar cast. It's sort of really shows a. Um, it shows a, a more modern war, which um, you know, you and I, Paul, like, like. I remember seeing this footage on, you know, on the on the news over breakfast, like, mm-hmm. and so it felt much more real to me. I think there's some real harrowing and um, devastating moments in that film. It's a movie that I've, I've seen quite a few times, but not so much recently. But it, it's well up there for me. My number two choice would be. Did you know, Paul, what you do in this life will echo through eternity? Gladiator. <laughs> I, 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 thought no. that, I thought it was going to be a winner, so there we go. No, no. So, um, again, I I love this movie. And, you know, we were talking before about, you know, you, you own a couple of VHSs or whatever. I got the Gladiator movie on, I'm pretty sure I got it on, Oh, maybe not. I, I got it with a, a PlayStation, maybe like a PlayStation right. 2 or something. And it's a movie that I just remember watching so much. Whenever I'd want to show someone, check out like Gladiator on like a DVD, like it's epic. And um, I I just, I I thought Russell Crowe, such, so great in this. I thought they did a really awesome job um, of <sighs> – I think just the storytelling, the action, the set pieces, and I see actually there's a, a Gladiator 2 in the works, so generally intrigued about that. Um, it's, it's obviously got Joaquin Phoenix, another great um, another great actor. But um, my number one movie is the one that you actually brought up first. I'm going to go with Alien from 1979. Um, I'm with you. I think when I think classic movies and classic like tension horrors, mm. not horrors um, where you see the bad guys are often like – where your mind does all of the, you know, that's where kind of all the fear is held. And I think there's so many great components of this. I think um, Sigourney Weaver as a Ripley, so fantastic. The camera work, the way they um, introduce the aliens, the the effects, all of it is just a, a top quality film. And I would be, you know, when you think again, you know, we talk about movies being – like 40 years old, like so great. And I think, you know, they've done some some cool stuff to kind of build on that universe in the past as well. But my shout out, Alien from 1979. Great choice. I love that we're we're in sync on that one. And yeah, you everything about it, the the camera work, the the sound effects as well, of the just the, the that builds that tension. Just just great. I love I love how we had like a series of movies there, uh Gladiator, Hannibal, and Black Hawk Down. He made those movies three in a row. So it was like peak Ridley Scott around the year 2000, 2001. Um, but for us, how lucky are we? Because the two next projects on his uh, list of directors are um, the untitled Alien movie and Gladiator 2, which which I don't think will hold that name. Gladiator 2 doesn't sound right. They'll, they'll, they'll call it something else. Maybe it should say no, it should no. it should say untitled Gladiator sequel. But those two movies, um, very interested to see what they're doing and um, hopefully Ridley gets the chance to do it soon. 
Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. If people want to get in touch or find us, where might they do that? They can do that on our social media at Half Measures Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it. We're there. Come and find us. Come and have a chat. Um, or maybe check out our website, halfmeasurespodcast.com. And um, just finally, just to say once again, thanks to Time Traveling Team for sponsoring this episode of Half Measures. A great podcast. Doctor Who fans, you should be checking it out. I've really enjoyed it. They're now up to episode 21. They've changed their format slightly. They're breaking episodes down even more. It's a really good listen. Also, a special shout-out to our um, Patreon producers of the show, Samara King and Trisha Brady. Um, we couldn't do this show without you. If you, too, would like to become a Patreon producer, then check out the details in the show notes before to find us on Patreon. But until next time, everyone, adios.